Seems like a hell of a long time, you know, since I was at, at, at Wigan, and um, but you know, had a great time. I, look, I, I got to be honest, I, I wasn't sure what to expect when I came over, um, and I probably wasn't that keen to start with to, to come over and play at, at club level. But um, there was probably five or six of my teammates who were all coming over, and they, I guess, in the end, were very persuasive, you know, and and. Um, I was looking to be able to play in one of the clubs that they'd already joined, but um, because of the rules, I couldn't do that, and and I got to start at Wigan, and and, it, and it's worked out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. He's on the ten yards off the sideline. Out to Holden. Into Kenny. Kenny, can he make it? Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. Yes. Great fly by Kenny, just to let him the same stick. To be thought of in, in, in such a way by the rugby league people of, of Wigan and and, um, and as you say it was only 25 games but that was probably equi the equivalent to our season back home you know we used to play 25 or 26 games so it um, but yeah it, you know 25 games but it was 25 games that I really enjoyed and, and I enjoyed playing alongside those guys and one of the pleasing things for me was I came back to England in 1986 on the kangaroo tour and and there was probably three or four, maybe more, of the, the guys that I played with at Wigan were now playing for their country and, and, and that was a very pleasing thing that these guys were able to go on from there and, and, and achieve their goal and, and represent their country. Well, having been here in 82 on the kangaroo tour and, and obviously, you know, having a lot of success there and going through undefeated, when, when I came back in 84, I, I really wasn't sure what to expect. I, I thought the game would obviously have improved um, because there was a lot of talk in 82 about how England needed to copy what Australia did and, and, and the way we played and the way we trained. And, and I sort of thought, well, maybe they would do that, but I wasn't 100% sure that they would have been able to achieve that much in 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 two years, but um, look, and it it was, I guess, a bit of a surprise that they they were playing a lot better. It, it, in a way, it was probably very similar to the competition I was playing in in back home in Australia, where over here there was probably four, maybe five teams that were your top sides, and and you knew when you were going to play them. I think there were Leeds, St Helens. Um, Obviously, well, well, Wigan, who I was playing with, but um, I think Castleford may have been one of the top sides then, um, and I think even Warrington. And and and, but you knew when you were playing those teams, it was going to be tough. But then after that, when you didn't play any of those teams, it was a pretty easy um, game. And and that was a similar situation to to back in Sydney. Although I guess probably the the easy games weren't quite as easy back home as what they were over here, but. But certainly the game had improved, but um, you know whether or not 
uh, remained to be seen whether or not they had improved enough to, to beat us in 1986 on the next Kangaroo Tour. When I came over in, on the tour in 82, I, I was expecting to be one of the guys that would play against all the, the local clubs and be sitting in the grandstand watching the test matches. And fortunately for me, I was able to, to play my first test for Australia. It was eight played over here in England. And, but I guess, yes, with, with the, the talk from the English people, um, all the talk was, you know, we've got to start to look at what Australia have done and, and how good they've, they've been. And, and you, you had the feeling that, yeah, you know, you, I was part of this, this new revolution that they were hoping to, to, uh, to achieve. And, and um, yeah, I guess it was very special. It's number one, Greg Brednell. Number two, Eric Graff. Number three, Mel Meninga. Number four, Steve Rogers. Number five, Kerry Burstead. Number six, Brett Kenny. For me, my main thing was just making sure that I was playing well enough to, to continue in, in the test, test teams and, and I was fortunate enough to do that. I played all three tests here in England and then we played, I think, two tests in France and I was able to play in them as well. But, but yes, we, through listening to, to, to people, um, the fans and, and even um, you know, some of the administrators of the British Rugby League, you sort of had an idea that yes, we were part of a new revolution. We we were we were showing them something that they needed to do to um, improve their game. I've come back here to play for Wigan as a Test player um, before the '82 Test series. Um, if I had a, if it had have happened the way I thought it was going to be, and I didn't play in any Test matches, well, I just would have been one of the Australian players that, that, that come here on the 82 tour. But having played test matches, yeah, I guess the expectation was, was probably, you know, that you, you're a test player, so you're a quality player. And I really didn't look at it that way. I, I just, I come over here to play and um, that was it. it, it um, I really didn't have, well, didn't feel too much pressure to, to have to perform because of what I've achieved previously. But obviously, look, that, that, that comes with the job. Um, you know, if you play at test level, you obviously people expect that you're going to be a quality player and they expect you to perform at that level all the time or, or to play as though you were playing at test level and, and um, even though it was just for a club. And uh, so, you know, that was the way it was. But as I said, I, I really felt no pressure myself. When I arrived at, at, at Wigan, it, it probably took a, a few weeks, obviously a, a few games to to get used to the guys that I was playing with. As it goes to Ford, Ford on to West, West back on to Ford, there's a gap! On to Kenny, Kenny going for the line! Beats him beautifully! Oh, him running by Kenny! Good try to the stand of half! Dance, jinked, lovely balance, nice footwork. But you could sense with the guys that were in the team, and, and, and as I mentioned before, there was a number of younger players who went on and represented their country. You could see that, yeah, this wasn't a bad side, and you know we were winning some games, and, and um, it just, yeah, it just felt like it, you know we could go go a fair way in this competition. Playing at Parramatta, I I started there in in nineteen eighty, and. Um, the club had actually played in two previous grand finals in the in the late seventies, and unfortunately got beaten in both of them. And then come nineteen eighty one, I was part of their first grade team, and and um, yeah, we we managed to make the grand final in nineteen eighty one for the for the third time for the club, and but went through and and 
we won that game and it was the first premiership Parramatta had ever, ever had. So it was a very special time and a, a very special time for a lot of the Parramatta fans and um, they'd been through a lot, a lot of heartache in the previous two game, uh, grand finals. So a uh, very special time and um, some great memories and of course we were able to you know, succeed in 1981 and, and win it again in 82 and 83 and probably what a lot of people don't realise is that we played again in the grand final in 1984. So we played in four grand finals in a row and unfortunately, well not unfortunately I guess, but we were only fortunate enough to win three of those, out of those four. I think coming through at the same time with a lot of other guys around the same age, the likes of Peter Sterling, Steve Eller, Eric Groth, John Muggleton, um, you know, Paul Taylor, these guys were all around the same age, 21 years of age, and um, it certainly did help. But I remember 1980, I started playing first grade, and, and it was a little bit intimidating walking into a change room and seeing guys like Bob O'Reilly, Ron Hilditch, Mick Crane and Ray Price, and Steve Edge, who was the skipper of the team. These guys I was watching on TV 12 months earlier and suddenly now I'm in the same change rooms and, and playing alongside them. It was a little bit intimidating, but then once you know, the other guys were, were, were coming through into first grade, by 1981 we were all playing first grade and, and, and it wasn't as intimidating and, and um, it's something that I really enjoyed. We, we had a great time, um, not just on the football field but off the field and I, and I think that played a big part in our success. Jack Gibson, as a coacher, I guess I I would describe him as a cryptic coach, and what I mean by that is that when if you ask Jack a question, he wouldn't necessarily give you a straight answer. Um, I'll give you a perfect example of that. Peter Sterling, at training after the weekend's game, said to Jack that he was a little bit disappointed with his kicking game. He said, oh, Jack, I... I'm getting the kicks away without a problem, he said, but I can't seem to have them land on the grass. They're being caught on the full by fullbacks or wingers. Do you have any sort of solution for me? And, and Jack said, well, the best suggestion I could tell you is to kick for the seagulls. Now, playing at Parramatta, it's a long way away from the ocean and we're thinking seagulls, there's no seagulls out here. And it was only a couple of weeks later that we played at the Sydney Cricket Ground in one of the semi-finals and of course there's always seagulls down there at the Sydney Creek ground and we were in the dressing room having a look out watching the bit of the reserve grade game and we saw these seagulls in the corner of the field and of course the ball gets kicked there and there's no one there and that's when it sunk in so he gave you an answer but you had to think about the answer and, and these were the sorts of things that Jack did and I think that's what made us better players because we weren't just given an answer and said oh okay that's it and just walk away we had to think about it, which made us think more about the game um, Jack was the type of guy that took a lot of interest in his players he um, always liked to know how things were at home how how things were at work he he um, always wanted to make sure that you were happy with with things at home and, and at work if if ever you weren't performing that well one of the first questions you would ask you is how are things at home and and um, He'd always be there to try and help sort things out. He believed that if you were were happy away from the football field, you were going to get a better. He was going to get a better performance out of you on the football field. And um, he was one of the few coaches that I've ever played under that, if you weren't performing well and you were going to be dropped from first grade, he would let you know before they even announced the team. So it was never going to be a shock to you. You knew before anyone else. And 
Um, I've played under and worked with coaches since at, that don't do that. And um, I was actually quite surprised. I thought, you know, Jack was one of the few guys that, that did that. And, and I thought that was very important. because And everyone had a lot of respect for Jack Gibson. I think it was because he was so open with them and, and, and so honest. And um, he was... Look, I think he was probably 20 or 30 years ahead of his time. Um, you look at rugby league back home in Australia now, and it's, it's all professional, and, and everyone's big on weight training. And they say now, you know, you've got to do weight training. They probably do weights about three or four times a week. Back in 1981, Jack Gibson had us doing weight training, not every night, but we, had, we did weight training in the off-season, um, and we won three premierships under him and it, so it just shows you how far advanced he was in the game. You could see with, with Jack having gone to the States, um, the things he'd picked up there, uh, different things. The weight training was one of those things that, that Jack had picked up on. Um, even it got to the extent where at training we would train three times a week. Tuesday night was our, obviously our first training session after the weekend's games and we would have a video of an NFL game or, or it showed you part of the game and, and what goes on behind the scenes and um, so they were quite interesting and, and actually picked up a lot of things on that and I remember one that interested me quite a lot and, and, and I, I picked up some um, training tips on it was uh, one of the guys I think was a running back and he, he showed you how he used to run up and down a hill and that strengthened his legs and and I thought, oh, that's, you know, I'll do that. And I started doing that in the off-season. And so there was a lot of things that you, you picked up on. And, um, you know, Jack was, was like that. He, he was one of the first coaches in Australia to ever go to America and, and, and learn what they did. And um, because reality was they were professional footballers. Um, we weren't. And, and uh, it certainly did help, help us. And, and as I said before, you know, we, we were able to, to win three competitions. So he... he, he in the cricketing terms, he had the runs on the board. I was very fortunate then. Success did come pretty quickly for me. I, I was great at a Parramatta as, nine, as a 19-year-old. 12 months earlier, I was playing for my local club, Guildford. And, but I guess I was very fortunate at the same time um, to have a family that I did, that I've got. Um, my dad played baseball um, back home in Australia and, and, and he played for, for Australia, represented his country. So he was very much aware of what, what can happen um, to young kids. And, and um, so yeah, I was always sort of kept grounded. And I think too, the fact that when I started playing at Parramatta, um, the senior players, the likes of Ray Price, Mick Cronin, Steve Edge, Bob O'Reilly, these sort of guys um, kept me grounded as well. And, and so it was good to be able to do that and I guess with everything that happened and, and, and as is, you know, getting there in 1980 and by the end of 1981 I've won a first grade premiership at the age of 20 years of age and you could sort of get too far ahead of yourself but, but um, you know, these guys had all the experience, they'd been there before, they knew what it was like and they could, if they saw that you were getting a little bit out of control, they'd certainly pull you in the line and, and especially with the size of some of them, you know, you, there was no way I was going to argue with them. Well, in 1982, come away on the Kangaroo Tour and, and um, I hadn't, well, I had been away from home but only on an end of season trip from Parramatta, which was, lasted I think about two weeks so all of a sudden now I found myself 
coming to England and I was going to be away from home for three months and I found it a little bit daunting at, at first but thankfully there was I think six or seven of us from, from Parramatta all coming away on the tour. From our club in, in Para, uh, Sydney, Parramatta, uh, we've had a few representatives over here and they've given me a few clues and mainly about the grounds and the, the conditions that we've been playing against but I suppose that's something I'll find out for myself when I, when I do get on the paddock so I think it'll be a bit of trial and error. I was very quiet, shy sort of kid and, and um, hadn't known too many of the other guys that were on the tour. So I, I was happy that at least there was someone that I knew and I would be able to sit with most of the time and, and have a talk. And But I've got to say, being on that tour, at, at the, the older guys, that it, and most of them had been on a previous tour, this was their second one, you know, they really made me feel at home and, and, and all the other younger guys that were away on their first tour, you know, we were involved in everything. It wasn't like these guys sort of separated themselves from us and they went this way and we went that way. We were all together and we did everything together. So, you know, that was one of the best parts of the tour. Coming to Wigan wasn't as daunting and, and, and I think that the reason being is as I was this experience now at, at, at being away, I was a lot older and and by that stage I'd played test football and you know, I was a lot more comfortable within myself as, as, as far as being a player was concerned. Could well have been more points on the board for Wigan. Now it's Eccles coming forward, beautiful break by Eccles. Proven elusive and strong as Ferguson goes in, helped by Kenny. Scott to Holden, holding long one to Kenny. Kenny a long pass out onto Ferguson, Ferguson coming inside. Holding to Kenny. Getting a little drummer kick there, and the diving punish kick dead by Ford. And it comes out to Holden, holding out to Kenny. Kenny a short one, Kenny's run round, Kenny dummy trying to make the red back inside onto Whitfield. I guess it was, wasn't sure what to expect when I, when I came over. Um, having been to England wasn't the problem because I, I'd been before, obviously, in the 82 Kangaroo Tour, but all of a sudden now I've got to get used to living in a house rather than staying in a motel. and. Um, but it was great. I mean, the people of Wigan were fantastic. And, and, and the, the thing that surprised me most was the fact that when, even when I was at home, at Parramatta you could walk around the street and yes, you would have people come up and say hello and everything. But at Wigan it seemed like everybody knew every Wigan player and it didn't matter where I went, everyone come up and said hello and, and um, you know, were always pleased to, to see the way I was playing. And, and it made me feel comfortable. It made me feel part of of Wigan and, and um, as I said the people of the club were, were very good to me, the players were great, they were a great bunch of blokes and we had a lot of fun and a lot of laughs. I was fortunate that um, yeah, there were six other guys from, from Parramatta who were playing at various clubs in the competition so um, again as I mentioned before you know it, it was always going to be a, bit, a little bit tough for me, I was never one of those guys that could just come out and introduce myself to people and, and, and feel comfortable with it. So um, having those guys over was always good that I knew I could always go and have a chat to them and um, you know we, we used to catch up with each other every now and then and, and of course at Christmas time we all, all got together at one of the guys' houses and spent Christmas together and couldn't spend New Year's Eve together because we had to play on New Year's Day but uh, which was something I found very hard to, to accept but um, you know that was the way the competition was but yeah having, having those guys here certainly helped me. We weren't sort of encouraged too much by Jack Gibson or, or anyone at, at the club really. Um, they sort of didn't object to us coming over but it wasn't something that they pushed. Um, and I guess 
after Parramatta lost seven players to 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 England or to the English competition, a lot of the clubs then started to think, well, we can't afford to let this happen. And, and obviously Parramatta, because it was seven of their top side players and and majority of them, I think there was only one player that came across that wasn't an international. So you can imagine having your team lose six six internationals out of the side and um, they still perform very well. We, we I think we just missed the semi-finals. Um, in 1985, but uh, oh, sorry, we did make the finals in 1985. We didn't make the grand final, but but it was something that the clubs sort of realised. And as I say, particularly in particular Parramatta, they they realised that we sort of can't let this thing happen again. And and of course, that's what did happen. We 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 um, never came back after that, and um, just continued our careers at Parramatta. It was okay. I mean, they, they didn't make too much of a fuss, but guys had come over and you know just introduced themselves to me. And um, there was an Australian guy playing there by the name of Mark Cannon, who was actually playing five eight or standoff at the time. And I think it was only a few weeks later he went to another club. I'm not sure which club, but but um, I guess in a way that helped having another Australian there. John Ferguson had played there, but by then he had gone home. Um, he came back and played obviously in the final at Wembley but but um, yeah you know the guys you know I felt very welcomed it was a little bit uncomfortable but then that's me at the start it was a little bit uncomfortable but um, but yeah give you know another week or two and I was fine comes at lining up the referee only taking them the five yards back as holding tries to make a break out beautifully the as Kenny with a jump on his off to Kenny Kenny's on under the boot nothing to about Kiss out to Holden, lob pass, slow pass. Kenny having told it, see the gap. Bedding going for the line, he's got support inside. Going on his own, a good try. A good individual try by Kenny. On to Holden. Holden turning it inside to Ferguson. Ferguson coming down the middle. As Edwards with him, he's dumping the gun on his own, he's still going. And he has support, gets it to Holden. Wolford moves it across. Short one. Good run here by Hunt. It's still coming strong. And if it intercepted by Kenny, can he make the line? Oh, great drive from the halfway line underneath the foot. Smacked that one out of the air. I always remember Graham West, who was a captain of, of Wigan at the time. Um, came to my house and then I followed him in the car to training and then and back home and um, he did that a couple of times and then after a while I got used to where I was going and what I was doing so um, yeah it was a little bit I, I guess in a way it could have been a little bit intimidating because I just wasn't sure what to expect but but the guys yeah they, they made me feel very welcome and and as I mentioned before you know just had a great time they're very funny and and just enjoyed their company Playing at Central Park was, was um, something very special and I, I guess, you know, in a way I was very disappointed and upset to hear that it's no longer there and I think it's a three or four storey car park now and um, I had some very special times there, I, you know, I did play some test matches at Central Park but obviously being the home ground of Wigan and, and playing there it was a tremendous feeling and and I always remember, you know, after the Challenge Cup final, we, we, we were back there at Central Park and went upstairs and, and went into the boardroom and 
they opened up the doors and went out onto a balcony and just went out there and, and the supporters were all there and, and it was a, an amazing scene. I, I had never experienced anything like it before. Probably the closest thing to experiencing that was, was at a grand final, you know, after the 81 grand final at Parramatta. But you looked out onto Central Park and, and you could not see a blade of grass. There was that many people. Um, but uh, yeah, some very special memories and uh, it was a wonderful ground and, and as I said, I was a little bit disappointed and upset that it, you know, it no longer exists. Alan McInnes and, and um, Colin Clark, who were the coaches at Wigan at the time, you know, they sort of, I guess, let me do my own thing. Um, they, they said they wanted me to, to do a lot of attacking play and, and um, obviously, you know, make sure I was, I was defending. They, they, they were quite comfortable with the way I, I was defending and and uh, yeah so that was it my role was just to sort of do what I wanted with the football and make sure that we could score some tries and very often if you're a player it's incidents like that that really set you going West all oh, the bottom there West Potter he's got Kenny with him oh he's over yes magnificent sleight of hand so that was good I enjoyed that sort of role and um, you know we, we, we had some good players um, Michael Ford, who was who was playing at halfback at, at times, and um, you know, uh, you know, a few uh, trying to think of the centres now. Colin Whitfield was one of the centres. Um, Steve Donlan was the other centre, and obviously Henderson Gill on on the wing. Um, Sean Edwards at fullback. You know, there was it was probably um, and David Stevenson also came in and and played in the centre. So. You know, there was there was a lot of attacking ability there, and, and 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 that was good for me because I enjoyed having guys that wanted to run with the football, and 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 I always looked to try and put them into holes and things like that, and and so it worked out really well, and I enjoyed the game. It, it was more of a free flowing game. It wasn't so much defence orientated, so that was one of the pleasures for me. When I arrived here, my first game was against Warrington at, at uh, Wilderspoon, and and and. And I was told, I was actually warned by the players and the coaching staff, you know, what to expect. And, um, well, they, it didn't disappoint me, that's for sure. It, um, you look out in the crowd, I think there was more action at some stage out in the crowd than there was on the football field. But, but it was just one of those games. It was a great game to play in. And I always remember uh, at one stage there, I'd thrown a pass and probably 30 to 45 seconds later, I cop an elbow to the back of the head. And I thought, oh, well, you know, welcome to English Rugby League. But... But uh, yeah, enjoy, enjoyed it. It was great. It was good to get that first game under my belt, and, and um, after that, you know, I, ju I just enjoyed playing and, and, and enjoyed the company of the, of the Wigan players. Coming over here and and and, and playing in English football and, and and playing for Wigan, you know, you you find out different things. And there's always, as I mentioned, with Warrington was one of the local derbies, but St Helens was the other one, and and um, they said to me, oh, you know, you'll be you'll be playing Boxing Day, and and you be playing against St Helens. Well, it didn't worry me who we were playing. It was the fact that we were playing Boxing Day. You know, <laughs> we don't play it back home on Boxing Day, but obviously, you know, the season goes through over Christmas and that. But yeah, you know, they they, they informed me how big the game was. And and when you get to the ground, you sort of don't appreciate it until you actually out there and realise just how big the crowd was. Turn 25, ball moving up to the right. 
Drives the head. Wigan had the ball to hold him. Out to the left. And again. And Kenny has the ball. He's got the ball within Stevenson. He's missed Stevenson. Says 10 yard mark out to kiss, kiss to West, West to Kenny, a wide pass out, and it's, the ball's got to Ferguson, who beats one man, but can't beat the next two away to ball. He's beaten them though, he has beaten them, and the ball had to left to Nicky Kiss, but he can't get a pass in, yes, he has. This is the turnover tackle. Next one is Saints ball. A drop. No, it's up and under. It must be dead ball, I would think. Gill's underneath it. It's been dropped. It's Wigan ball. The referee's given a drop. It was a full house, and uh, you know the, the thing I liked about the English crowds is they did get very involved in the game, and they used to sing a lot. Um, Back home, they, they don't sing at all, and, and there will be stages in the game where it will be pretty quiet. But um, over here, it's always noisy. You know, when, when you look at that game, you probably, it might be close to state of origin, but I don't know whether I would say it would be as tough as a state of origin game. But um, the intensity was obviously, was, was very high. And I know back home, we'd have local derbies, but they weren't like, they were Wigan versus St Helens or Wigan versus Warrington. You know, they were very tough. And and I, I think it's just, it, well, it comes down, it's a tradition. And and I think that was the thing, you know, that the, the fans love it. They all turn out to watch those games. And, and there's just that great rivalry. Well, when I came over here, you know, I didn't realise how many sort of games, how many games you play. And then they told me, you know, you've, you've got a Lancashire Cup, a Yorkshire Cup, Challenge Cup, Premiership rounds. and um, you know, I think you mentioned earlier I'd played 25 games for Wigan. Well, that was a season for me back in Sydney, and I hadn't played a full season at Wigan. I'd come in well after the season had started, you know. But but then, as you say, yeah, you, it, it was hard to get used to the fact that you'd play on a weekend, and they'd say, well, we've got a game on Tuesday or Wednesday night, and it's for the um, the Lancashire Cup, and you go, oh, right, okay, and and then. You know, a, a few weeks later or a month later, it comes down. We've got a game on the weekend, and oh, we've got a game midweek. It's it's uh, for the Challenge Cup. And I think, oh, okay, and, and off we go. So, it, it it was a little bit tough at first, but then after a while, you got you got used to it, and you knew, oh, well, there could be a game on during the week. And I mean, you had did have plenty of notice, but but um, initially, it was pretty hard to for the body to get used to the fact that you know you're, you're backing up two or three days later. Well, when I left Australia to come over here and play for Wigan, I um, I wasn't a professional footballer back home, but Wigan, you know, obviously had become a professional club, and and it was great for me. You know, it was a great experience, and I enjoyed, you know, not having to go to work, get up and go to work in the morning, and then come home and go to training in the afternoon. I, I I do guess the only problem I had was during the day. I mean, I'm I'm a sort of guy that needs to be doing something all the time. I get bored very easily, and. And I think I saw just about every video on the vid from the video shop, the local video store. But, but uh, yeah, I found it very difficult to do things during the day, look for something to do. But um, did a little bit of sightseeing. But but um, yeah, just enjoyed the fact that I was a professional footballer because I 
back home, it was something that he always wanted to be. He was a professional footballer, and, and I finally got this opportunity to, to experience what it would be like. Well wrapped up by Johnson, Miller. Now Kiss taking himself, matching halfback, pushes off Miller. Kiss tattle about three yards from the Rovers line, the six tattles coming up. Sean Wayne, no, Wayne goes in straight to another post for Wigan. I'm not surprised that Sean Wayne has had success as a coach. You know, he, as a player, he was a very intense sort of player, but then he would also have a good time. And, 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 and you could sense that he, he, he was a people's person. He, he can relate to people and, and talk to people. And I think that's a very big, important part of, of being a coach. It's not just knowing about the game, but it's knowing how to treat people and how to get the best out of people. And you, you just sense that that was what he was like. Um, very aggressive sort of back rower and from what I've been told I haven't seen I've seen a couple of Wigan games back home um, he has his side playing the same way so um, I it would not surprise me and I've been telling everyone here since I've been here that you know they're all talking about who's going to be playing in the in the, the premiership decider and I said look it's, it's already been decided you know Wigan are going to be there <laughs> Well, when I arrived at Wigan, um, I wasn't aware, again, of how many different competitions they had, and the Challenge Cup was certainly one that I really had no idea what how important this game was. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the fact that you know they would say to me, "Well, we've got a midweek game, and it, it could be a Lancashire Cup game or, or, or whatever," but this, you know, will be a Challenge Cup game. So, okay, no problem. Um, and I guess it wasn't really until the end we, we, we played in the semi-final and obviously won the game and, and we were now playing in the final. It was in the dressing room after that game that I realised just how big this Challenge Cup was. I, I, you know, to me, it, it was as big as our grand final back home. Playing at Bolton Football Ground in the first round of the, of the Challenge Cup was, was certainly a strange experience. Probably not so much the, the playing, but the fact that we went out onto the field, you could still see the markings of the, of the well, what we call soccer, um, the soccer field, and um, but a magnificent ground, and, and and I guess I guess that's what it's like for all the, the all the football football grounds that you have here. You know, the, um, it was just it was a wonderful feeling to be able to play there on such a great ground, and and um, of course we we come through with a victory and. And um, so they well and truly got us on our way. By Wigan, now Batley moving it hot on the attack onto Carroll. Carroll sends a long one, and it's been intercepted! Has he got the legs? Kenny going for the line! And he made this easily. Well, that was unfortunate for Batley, but Kenny spotted it well. Playing against Warrington in, in, the, in the second round of the, of the Challenge Cup, I, I guess, you know, it, it was one of those things. I, I just happened to have a good game. I, I don't know why. I, I can't sort of work out why you have good games and why you have bad games. But, um, you know, I, I guess it's, it wasn't just me. Obviously, the guys I had around me also helped. Everything that I did seemed to work. And But they put themselves in the position to accept the footballs. And, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good game. And, and it, you know, of course, playing there, it, 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 playing against Warrington, it was a, always nice to be able to beat them, being one of the, the local derby sides. Butter. Ooh, it looked almost interception, but Kenny's done some good from it. David Stevenson. Oh, he's got Donnelly with him. Graham West. Is he in? Oh, good backing up. Henderson Gill. 
magnificent try. Oh, here's a good run. Oh, just look at this for the speed of the man. Is he going to go all the way? He is. Oh, magnificent try. Oh, credit to Wigan. They opened that ball out. Well, when we played the next round, we played at Bradford, and, and I've got to say, I've never experienced anything like that before. It, it, um, it, it is an amazing ground where you start off at the, at the top of this hill and walk all the way down the stairs. And and I used to think, you know, uh, uh, the, the change rooms were at the top of the hill. And I thought, oh, I just hope we don't have to go back up there at half time, you know. And and thankfully we didn't. Full credit to the side, you know, they stuck to their guns and, and um, probably the other players more so than myself because I'm still at this stage trying to work out how important this Challenge Cup is, but um, the other guys obviously knew and and um, held on and, and we were able to get through to the next round. Wigan finding it difficult to make ground as Ford puts an overhead kick. Going for Gale. Takes it clean, he's gone for the line. Gale's over and Gale scored. Wigan going to the lead. Playing in the last round or the semi-final as it was, you know, um, against Hull KR, but again it was at Ellen Road and, and, and another soccer field and um, great condition and, and, and a lot wider than, than you're expecting and, and so I guess in a way it was good for me. We, we could really certainly throw the ball around and, and, and have a good time but I know I probably got a little bit carried away with throwing the ball around. <laughs> And I remember I did throw a bad pass and, and um, one of the whole KR players managed to pick it up and off he went up the field and fortunately we were able to pull him down short of the line. Kenny, oh a good pass from goal. He's away, got him Clark. Oh he's got him, just by the fingertips. We held on with our defence and, and um, you know, got away with a victory. It, it was a tough game and, and I was very thankful of my teammates that we were able to stop that try and, and and it was in the dressing room after that that I suddenly realised and, and caught on as to how important this Challenge Cup was. To Graham West, now then, he's got the open field but he's got nobody, oh he's still going, and what a run, oh, the try has taken everybody by surprise, one of the finest tries I think we'll ever see in a Challenge Cup semi-final. You know, the way the players were were um, jumping around and celebrating. You would have thought we'd won the Challenge Cup, but but um, they then explained to me what it was all about, and, and you know the fact that we go to Wembley, and 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 even the fact that the that the club were actually supplying us with a suit. They bought us shoes. They they did everything. It was it was um, something that I'd never experienced back home in Australia, and and I, was, I was suddenly, as I said, suddenly realised that that this was um, we're going to to one of the biggest events in the game of rugby league. The build-up to, to, to Wembley sta uh, playing at Wembley Stadium in the Challenge Cup final uh, wasn't so much dissimilar to the build-up to our grand finals. Um, obviously, Wembley Stadium is a lot bigger and, 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 and a, a better stadium than what we were playing at the Sydney Cricket Ground, but, but um, you know, I was sort of used to build-ups for, for big games like that, having played in a couple at home, or, or played in three of them in a row at home. And um, so it sort of didn't affect me too much, um, you know, and, and I could appreciate, yes, we were going to go down to London, you know, a few days before the game and, and acclimatise ourselves with, with, with the place and, 
um, I always remember we, we walked out onto Wembley Stadium a, a day or two before the game and, and to me I'd only ever seen Wembley Stadium on TV watching FA Cup finals and here I was now out in the middle of this ground and it was just magnificent. There was no one around but even then there was just this eerie feeling about this stadium and um, someone, I don't know where they got it from but they found a football and they decided we'll, we'll might have a quick training session and knowing full well we weren't really allowed on the ground but started training next thing there were security guards that come from everywhere uh, to get us off the ground but the mere fact we were able to be out there and um, it was magnificent it was a, a great memory for me and, and um, something that I'll always cherish. John Ferguson was playing at Wigan earlier on in the year and he part of his contract I think was from was to go back and, and play for the Roosters back home and um, then he was also available to play for Wigan in the Challenge Cup final if they made it and of course it's, it's history now where they did make it and, and, and um, John Ferguson came back so it was good to, to catch up with him when he, when he came back and um, you know all the players enjoyed his company and, and um, he was a magnificent player. It, it, um, I still remember one of the tries he scored where he actually went down with a, an ankle injury and he was down on his haunches and in the meantime, when the play was continued on and, and Hull had dropped the ball, he was able to get up, pick it up, and he ran you know, 30 or 40 metres and scored a try without a hand being laid on him. And I just stood there in, in disbelief how he could have done it, you know. But, but he did, and that, that was the type of player he was. You know, when you play in a, in a, in a final or grand final, you know, you, you expect um, a few things to happen. but. When I played in that final at Wembley Stadium in the Challenge Cup and um, you know, being in the dressing room, you came out, the opposition were opposite you, you walked along the tunnel and I can appreciate the tunnel probably wasn't all that long but it seemed like it was three or four miles long that day. You know, walking on very quiet and um, you could see this light at the end and, and suddenly when the players started to appear, uh, I mean obviously we had ball boys, we had um, the club managers and then the coaches and then the players started and I would have been back at number six and so I had a fair few people in front of me and I, I could appreciate that I was able to get used to the noise. Huge roar now as the two teams come out. Graham West leading the Wigan side nearest to our camera. David Stevenson, Henderson Gill and Brett Kenny from Australia. What, a, what an atmosphere it must be for these Australians. Once I got out in the open, I just looked around and, and obviously playing against Hull, who were black and white, and Wigan, who were red and white, or cherry and white, as they were known, and um, that's all you could see around the, around the stands was red, white and black, and, and they were singing and, and cheering, and it was just a magnificent spectacle to be able to, to be there and, and have a bit of a look around. And, and it's the first time I've ever done something like that. I, I was—I guess it's the first time I've been in that situation. And but I'm normally just walking out, concentrating on what I'm doing. But when you got out there, you couldn't help but look around at this magnificent stadium and and see this magnificent crowd. And and um, you couldn't—you could appreciate, you know, what what how much this game meant to 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 all the rugby league supporters. I got out there, and and obviously we get to the halfway line and walk back down over to the sidelines, and and we lined up you know, opposite the hole and, and when we get introduced to all the various dignitaries of the game and and um, all the players had their tracksuit tops on and, and I sort of really don't have much of an idea what to do with my hands. I, 
I wasn't sure whether to have my hands crossed in front of me, behind me or whatever. So I thought, well, the safest thing for me is to put my hands in my pockets um, of the tracksuit top. And that's what I did. I had my hands there. And then as the, the people came down, we got introduced. Morris Lindsay, the chairman, would introduce the various people to me. And, and um, I was always introduced to, oh, this is Brett Kenny, our Australian player. So obviously then they wanted to have a bit of a chat about, you know, what's it like in Australia and, 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 and that's what I did. I'd put my hand out, I shook hands, put my hand back in my pocket and had a bit of a conversation with them. The people themselves had no problems with that. I think it was more so the media. They, they hadn't had anyone like that before and they probably took it as a bit of an offence. Um, I was never meant, meaning it to be disrespectful to anyone, but that was just the way I am. Doesn't Brett Kenny look so casual? He looks confident. Well, he's probably used to the big occasion, this Australian test standoff, played all over the world. Well, I don't know whether Brett Kenny wants to play, he doesn't look interested, but I'm sure that beneath that casual air, there are some nerves. With the dropping of Gary Schofields by Hull, it was a little bit of a surprise. He had played, you know, in the previous games and, um, you know, you would expect that he would have been there. Obviously, not being part of the whole club, I had no idea why or what the reason was, but... Um, in a lot of ways, I know a lot of the Wigan guys were very thankful that it happened. Yard from the line, Holden on the attack. Sterling again. Arcoy back to Sterling. But he's doing everything this little lad. Muggleton. Gary Campbell, he's got a 2 to 1 situation. Kevin James, and he's in. First try of the match. Kevin James took his opportunity well. Ten yards now from the whole line. Six tackle. Four. Looking for Kenny. Back to Potter, to Ferguson again, they're looking for this man, the danger, and he's in! What a majestic piece of rugby! He got the ball in a standing position, a brilliant sidestep, as they say in the north, they could sidestep on a trip and bit this lad. Well, this, this man's certainly come from Australia, not for a holiday, he's determined to get into the game, John Ferguson. To West, to Kenny, oh, good ball from Kenny, he's got space, can he make it all the way, he's going round Professional tactics here from Wigan taking the ball in front of the post. Normally, a side would take it away from the post to avoid any goal kicks. Oh, beautiful ball from Kenny, which puts Stevenson in space with Gill outside him. He's only got Campbell, the fullback, to beat. He's got the strength, he's got the speed, and he's beaten him. Oh, as good a try as we'll see. All made for Henderson Gill by that beautiful pass from Kate Kenny. But I'm sure. Having a word with him, he ran onto the ball well, and I think Kenny's saying to him, "Look, I'll draw them in and push the ball out wide. You do the running, I'll do the thinking." Michael Ford to put the ball in for Wigan, and he does. He gets it. Oh, beautiful dummy from Kenny. He's got Sean Edwards linking up with him. Has he got the legs to the line? And he has. Oh, tremendously well worked try. Youngster Sean Edwards, the whole forwards just not backing up like the Wigan contingent. Peter Sterling is going to get up. He can make it himself if he goes. Oh, good try to Evans. Yes. I thought Peter Sterling was going himself. Steve Evans a little disgruntled about that. That tackle by Brian Dunn. Ten minutes gone. Wigan still ten points in the lead. 22-12 in their favour. To Steve Norton. Sterling. Oh. oh, and Ferguson's got the ball, he's got a 
scampers home, no problem. And another four points to Wigan. John Muggleton just mistimed his run coming up. Muggleton to Devote. Is he in? Yes, he is. Quick play the ball. Substitute Gary Devote. But only one side have ever come back from a ten-point deficit. That was Leeds, but can hold do it. Oh yes, and Luna is going straight through. He's taking everybody by surprise. A tremendous try. Oh, the game now is alive. Being one man. He's beaten two men still going. Oh, and there's the hooter. What a game. My well, the Wigan players leap in the air. An incredible match. 28 points to 24 for Wigan. Well, this, you know, playing at Wembley Stadium was, was you know, a, a, probably bigger than, than playing in grand finals, but I always had a lot of success in, in grand finals and, and, and big games. And, and um, obviously Wembley Stadium Challenge Cup final was one of the biggest games I could play in. And, and um, so I was very fortunate, you know, I enjoy that sort of atmosphere. I enjoy playing in those games and I was um, fortunate enough to, to have a good game there for Wigan and, and uh, came away with the man of the match, which is the, the Landstide Trophy. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I was informed afterwards in the dressing room that I was actually the first Australian to win a Landstide Trophy. So it was an even, it, it made it a little more special and I was, I was very proud to have been able to achieve that. Well, I was fortunate enough to come up with a try in, in, um, in that final. And, um, you know, a lot of the people might have thought I'd showed plenty of speed and, and deception, but reality was I was actually looking for Henderson Gill to pass the ball and, and I looked to the side and I couldn't see him. I thought, well, I'm going to have to go on my own. And um, I've always been taught, you know, you make a break, you've got the full back to beat. You sort of do a little bit of an in and away and I was able to do that and, and um, um, got away from the from the fullback. I think Gary Campbell was a fullback for for um, for Hull and and went over and scored a try. So um, very memorable. I, I've actually got the game at home and um, I've watched it on the rare occasions. And but um, even my wife, she had a look at it and saw it and she said, "You know, you don't like run like that anymore." You know. <laughs> But um, yeah, it was it was great. It was wonderful to be able to to say that I've scored in a final of a Challenge Cup. Well, in that game, you know, we we were we were in front and looking to be doing it quite comfortably, and then Hull came back and scored two quick tries. Uh, they scored one try, converted, and then we we kicked off, and it was probably two or three tackles later they scored again. Um, it was worrying times, I, I must admit. And, and and after the game, some of the players said to me, "They've never heard me." go off as much um, in a game before that. And I never did, you know, but it was, I guess, the emotion of the game and the fact that we were so close, you know, to winning this game. And I, I politely put it to them. I can't tell you exactly what I said, but I, they would politely put it to them that they were in this position last year and got beaten. Um, you don't want to let this happen again. And, and um, so we, we went back. Obviously, we you know, were able to hold on and, and, and win the game. History shows you that we won the game, but we... We, we made it tough for ourselves for a while. To win it and um, was a magnificent feeling and the celebrations were, were fantastic, you know, after the game. I know people would probably, if they go back and look at the game, they see me walking around, just sort of looking around at things. But uh, I, I was looking for, obviously, my teammates from Parramatta just to, to have a chat to them and, and also um, looking for my family. Um, Wigan had flown my mum and dad over 
Uh, so I was looking for them. And then once I sort of found all them, well, then I was ready to, to say, all right, well, now I can celebrate with everybody else, you know. And um, having people come in onto the field from, from the crowd, I've never experienced that because we never did that at home. You, you weren't allowed on the field. And uh, see people coming in, patting you on the back, giving you scarves, wrapping scarves around your neck. And and it, the, the pleasing thing is it, it shows you just how much it meant to the Wigan fans, you know, and and, um, and that was something that was very special, you know, as much as you'd like to win it and, and for yourself and um, you can appreciate that we're actually out there playing the game, we've got a bit of control on what happens. They're sitting in the in the crowd and, and they've got no control over what happens, you know, and um, so for them to be happy, it was it was a great feeling and, and in the dressing rooms afterwards, well, you know, it's typical finals victory celebrations. It's, there was champagne going everywhere and I don't think anyone drank any of it, but it's, uh, there was plenty of it being thrown around.